0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Panning People, the NMA podcast. This week we're joined by a pension expert to discuss the pension industry's pet technology project. That's right, of course, it's the pensions dashboard. Here to chew the fat with us about that is a familiar face in the pensions world. Darren Philp is Director of Policy at Smart Pension. He's held a fair few positions in the sector, most recently at BNC, but also at the Pensions and Lifetime Saving Association back when it was the NAPF and HM Treasury, where he was closely involved with the development of auto enrolment. Hello, Darren, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, how are you? Yes, good. Uh, now, I say we, obviously, because we are also joined by our pensions reporter, Talia Misiri. Hello. Hello. Uh, she's a huge Dashboard fan. Um, before we get on to Dashboard antics, uh, you should be well aware that nobody comes on the podcast without doing a quiz. Uh, so I have prepared a quiz on dashboards. Oh, dear. Not the pension <laughs> dashboard, just dashboards generally. Yeah. So it's a head-to-head. Uh, um, we'll see. We've got a pen, actually. It'd be good, to, good to get some scores written down. Can I borrow your mm-hmm. pen? Lovely stuff. Um, the first question is about the Boeing 747. Are you aware of the Boeing 747? It's the face of transatlantic and long-haul flights. Uh, it's being phased out now, but it's still widely in use as a commercial freight liner. It has hundreds of buttons on its dashboard, uh, as I'm sure you can imagine, all of which do different things. But what does the button marked Execute do? Don't worry, it's nothing to do with drunken passengers on the flight home from Magaluf. Does it A, operate the landing gear, B, implement changes to the flight route, or C, play a documentary about Henry VIII to all passengers on board?
1: I'd go B.
2: Talia? I'll go A, why not?
0: It's actually B, it is B. It changes the, uh, it, cha- it makes changes to the, uh, the in-flight.
1: Yeah. Uh, so like the enter button then on a PC, basically.
0: Basically, e- exactly. Exactly. 1-0. So 1-0. On oh. Talia, nil. No. Question two. You'll love this one. It wouldn't be a Pensions podcast without mention of a Lamborghini, ah.
1: would it, Darren?
0: <laughs> uh, so here we go. Are you
1: listening, Mr. Webb?
0: Are you, yes. <laughs> Are you listening, Steve? The dashboard display on a Lamborghini Huracan features a flashy facade, gorgeous graphics, and a built-in sat-nav. But does it have a clock or not? Yes or no? I think it would. Talia? Yeah. It does. It does have a clock. So uh, the Lamborghini's dashboard designs, they always cause a bit of a stir in the car community, because some of them, some people argue that the designs are too busy. busy people need to know what time it is so it does have a clock. Question three, imagine this, you're driving a 2017 plate Mercedes-Benz Turismo coach. Darren you may know about this because you've had you've had sort of mini buses in the past for your kids. Uh, That
1: was a Master Bongo.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Slightly different. This is the huge bus, the sort of thing your nan would take a trip to the beach on with her mates. Uh, You're driving this thing and suddenly bang, one of the tires blows out. You reach for the emergency hazard light, hazard lights. Uh, But are you reaching with your left hand or your right? Is the button on the left or the right of the console?
1: I'd go right.
0: Talia?
2: I'll go left.
0: It's left. Hey. (laughs) It is left. Uh, So the Mercedes is obviously a German brand. So on the German models, it would be the other way around. But UK versions have the hazard light switch on the left of the coach's dashboard. Uh, So question four, Uh, let's talk fighter jets. The UK has a new fighter jet, almost. It's still sort of in development. It's called the F-35 and it's meant to be some form of stealth stealth fighter that we can fly from our two aircraft carriers that aren't actually finished yet. Uh, Fast jets, as they're known, require some form of ejector seat in case the pilot gets into trouble. Um, But does this brand new uh, multi-billion pound fighter jet project that cost uh, the Earth uh, have an ejector button on its dashboard or an old fashioned pull ring?
1: Uh, old-fashioned pull ring.
2: Italian. Yeah, I'd like to think they have yeah. an old-fashioned pull ring. Yeah. That
0: is correct. It does have an old-fashioned pull ring, one to you each. Um, the, uh, it's actually between the pilot's legs, which is sort of cheating on my part because I thought, you know, that's not technically on the dashboard, but that's a good theme because we're going to talk about what should and shouldn't be on the dashboard. Um, final question is about Bond cars. The most famous Bond car of all is which car, Darren? radio silence as oh, he ponders. Oh,
1: I, it, it, uh, it's the Aston Martin that's DB5 the Martin, that's it, yeah. it's the DB5 <laughs> you didn't
0: pass
2: that on oh, <laughs> I, I,
1: I was thinking of the one you know the, the the one that went into the sea with the the missiles coming yeah, out of right? yeah, that was yeah. my favorite bond car the lotus
0: Esprit. that's oh, okay uh, but the the so DB5 first appeared in goldfinger in 64 and subsequently reappeared in uh, in lots of other bond films uh, in that film Goldfinger, the car has an ejector seat, machine guns in the bon- bonnet, oil slicks, tire shredders and a smoke screen. But also less impress- impressively, it does have a dashboard. To the nearest 10 miles per hour, what is the top speed listed on the DB5 sp- speedometer? Bear in mind that it is an old car and then maybe don't bear that in mind because I was surprised at the answer to this.
1: And this, this is miles per hour? Yeah,
0: To so the nearest 10. The nearest 10. 180.
2: Oh, you took my oh! I was literally thinking that. Okay, let's let's go for a different one. Two hundred.
0: Darren has absolutely nailed it. Oh. It is one hundred and eighty.
1: That's a last minute gamble as well, isn't it? Yeah. That's that's um.
0: Darren has won with four points. Tally you come in with three. Oh. I'm so sorry. But well played, everyone. Oh, Dan. But you've been very good sports for do, for doing that. Quiz over. Uh, it's four to three. It was quite tricky. Uh, Shall we actually talk about the purpose of this podcast now, which is, of course, the pension dashboard? Uh, we did some polling on this on Twitter, which asked the following question of our readers. Do you think that the uh, introduction of a pension dashboard is going to assist your business in helping clients with their pension savings? And Talia is going to read out the results. Talia.
2: Yeah, so it was quite positive. We had 23% said definitely it's sorely needed. 40% yes said yes, probably. 20% said no, but it will help others and 17% questioned pension dashboard.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So I I presume that some people put that last answer as to troll us. Um, I did put the question there to invite that, so that's really my fault. Um, Darren, IFA's aren't the only people who could benefit from this innovation. Obviously, we write for them, but take us back to the beginning here and tell us why it's really important that we have a dashboard for pensions. Yeah,
1: I think um, it's a good question, and sometimes we lose sight of that um, when we start talking about the tech and where the dashboard is is yeah. at. Um, but you know, what what is this industry here for? Well, it's it's here to sort of give people good outcomes. Yeah, yeah and good outcomes in retirement. And I think, you know, um, we, we're, we're well away from the days now whereby, you know, people would sort of retire with their defined benefit schemes. And, you know, you would, um, you would work for goodness knows how many years um, and then you get your pension just paid to you um, after you've left work. Obviously, it wasn't true for everyone, but that was the norm in terms of pension provision. Sure. Um, and as those schemes um, close to new members and close to future recall, um, you know, there was a massive under-saving issue that was happening. Um, which is why the government introduced auto-enrolment, um, probably one of the most successful sort of pensions policy initiatives ever introduced by any government anywhere. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's still early days with auto-enrolment, but I think, you know, if you were in the Department for Work and Pensions or the Treasury and you were, you know, thinking about this in 2007, and um, you're thinking, you know, how, is, how has it gone? You'd, I think you'd be quite pleased. Mm. You know, and I think the industry and the likes of Nest and others, you know, have really um, sort of stepped up and, and, and delivered on this stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's defined contribution pensions. Yeah, it's not guaranteed. People move around a lot. Yeah, um, people don't engage with their pensions uh, for for whatever reasons. We might talk a about, bit about that a bit later. So, you know, why do we need a pensions dashboard? I think probably for two reasons. Um, People lose track of their pensions. They lose track of their pension pots. Mm. I think the PPI um, did some research. The Pensions Policy Institute did some research um, that was published last year. I think it was. There is something like one point six million missing pots out there. Mm. Yeah, mm. Um, twenty billion of assets. That's a monumental amount of money mm. that could be people could be using, um, you know, to fund their retirements. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, uh, yeah. Mm. And, and and I think that um, you know ultimately. You know, if the dashboard does one thing, and it reconnects people with their pots, and it allows people to find those pots, that's got to be a good thing. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So the pension finder aspect of a dashboard is really important. And the second bit um, is well, we talk a lot about engagement, and I think um, people's experience of engaging with pensions is blooming frustrating. Yeah. I, I don't know about you ollie but uh, how often do you look at your pension well you're probably not the best person to answer that one because you're a bit of a geek on these things yeah. uh, um, <laughs> um, but but you know how you know but you know s- take someone like me I'm, i I like pensions yeah sure. I've, I've been mm. working in pensions 10 10 years yeah and you know how often do I look at my pension probably not that often but when I have done it in the past there's just been barriers to me getting that information mm. yeah. yeah I think I'm gonna look at this and, and they, you're an expert yeah and I, and I call up um, and it's like oh you have to write to us or you have to do this you have to do that and that moment where I'm interested
2: yes. mm-hmm. yeah
1: it's gone yeah. and yeah. I might not think about it you know for another year or another few years or whatever yeah. and you know as you say you know I mean I'm half interested in pensions yeah <laughs> um, just imagine normal people yeah. On this. Not that I'm so saying yeah, myself no that I'm I'm not normal, but anyway, I'll let others be the judge of that. Um, but you know, you've probably got one or two points at which to engage them. Mm. You know, and if you don't give them the information, if you don't make it easy for people, they're just going to switch off. Definitely. You know? And you mm-hmm. know, there's no wonder we have problems with um, sort of financial education and getting people to sort of make decisions and all of that type of stuff because we put barriers up. And I think one of the Beautiful things that the dashboard could do is remove some of those barriers. It won't solve the issues, yeah, but for me, if you sort of get people um, in touch with their pensions, if you reconnect people with their pensions, and if you make it easy for them just to get some basic information, that's got to be a
0: good thing. Mm. Yeah. And um, Tally and I spoke before this about playing devil's advocate. And uh, so I have a little bit of a thing, sort of my whipping horse, Darren, which is about engagement because I think there is such a thing as too much engagement. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to reveal any sort of political inclinations at this point, but I have a slight concern, if you will, that, uh, I don't know, certain elements within the finance industry more widely, not talking pensions companies, but, you know, other ambitious uh, capitalist types might turn it into a bit of a sort of, a, you know, a bit of a training platform, something that's a bit too interactive. And I think actually, we're also potentially, we're not just dealing with people who want to look at their pensions and have to scratch that itch and, and become more engaged. We're also dealing with people who are potentially vulnerable. Yeah. So my question to you is, you know, how much is too much engagement?
1: Um, I would say that the right engagement on the with the right information at the right time, yeah, um, can did de- it can deliver, um, you know, good outcomes. Mm. Wrong engagement you know at the wrong time on the basis of wrong information you're in catastrophe land yeah and I think that um, you know there's, there's two really important aspects to this first the power of inertia and the power of defaults yeah which is why we have auto enrollment It's why we have default funds all of this type of stuff yeah that's really important because what you're trying to do is behaviorally nudge people into doing the right thing now if they want to do something else or if they want to build on what they're doing then we shouldn't stop them we should facilitate that either through guided journeys or where your listeners come in. Yeah, the role of advice and guidance, and that is really, really important in this space. But the fundamental building block of auto enrolment is, if you don't think about this, yeah, you are saving for your future. Yeah. Now, um, there's there's a school of thoughts out there that says defaults, defaults, defaults is the way to go. Yeah. And I, you know, I've, I have subscribed to that that view, and I think there's a lot of validity within that view. But we all know that 8% contributions, which when they go up to 8%, and we know it's not really 8% um, in April, um, you know, it's not going to be enough for everyone. It's going to be enough for some people. You know, it's a good start. It's better than nothing. But if people don't engage, if we don't talk to people, you know, at the right point in their savings journey, they're going to get to 65, 67, whatever age that they look to retire. And it's too late to do anything about it. Mm. yeah so what do we want yeah we don't want people necessarily um, making complex financial decisions and all of this type of stuff right for me what providers should be doing and this is where advice can really help is explaining trade-offs to people explaining trade-offs and getting people to think about the sort of lifestyle choices or the sort of income versus saving versus wealth choices that they actually have Mm. yeah and then leave it to the experts you know, to actually deliver and support people to do this, so you know I can really see the dashboard helping with that. Um, but you're right, you know, vulnerability, and that's why we've always argued for, you know, the ability for the dashboard to allow innovation, but it's got to be done in a well-governed, well-controlled way. You know, one of the things um, I'm. After, after this, I'm going to be finishing our draft of our consultation document. Um, you know nothing like leaving it to the last minute. Is <laughs> I hope my CEO's not listening to this at this point, but anyway um, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but one of the things that we'll be saying in there is that if you're going to provide a dashboard, yeah if you're going to have access to that data, yeah. it should really be a regulated activity in some shape or form. You know you need some controls around it. Um, I think when the, fir- the the dashboard first got muted and when the treasury was in the driving seat a few years ago they were sort of almost had this sort of model where let's let a thousand flowers bloom mm-hmm. yeah and okay that's pretty good for innovation yeah but where are the safeguards? Mm-hmm. and I think there's difference between things like open banking where people see their um, you know their current account and, and it's theirs yeah um, it's close to them they're yeah. transacting with it on a day-in day-out basis you can go to a hole in a wall and get some cash out and all that type of stuff mm. people are comfortable with dealing with that but with pensions people you know don't necessarily understand them who no yeah. fault of their own um, I think they get the principle and they get the context and stuff but they don't necessarily see it as their money yeah. because it's something that is there for the future and some of the research we've done previously or I've done previously in a different life has just sort of demonstrated the disconnect that people have with their pensions. It's almost like they feel it's not their money. Yeah, they're giving mm. it away. Yeah. It's lack of ownership. Um, yeah, exactly. And I think that you know, that's what we need to sort of guard around with the dashboard, yeah? Um, give people a sen- sense of ownership. Um, reconnect people with their pensions. Um, allow innovation to come off the back of that. In terms of tools, calculators, guided journeys, all of this type of stuff, should be a fantastic uh, tool for advisors.
2: Mm. Yeah? Yeah.
1: Take some of their hard work, you know, phoning up all the providers and that out, out of the journey, mm. allows them to focus on the real value add type stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's got to be done in a controlled way. Mm. Um, you know, and the regulators and the DWP and the, um, the single financial guidance body really need to think hard about getting that balance right between protection. And allowing that innovation.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, we've spoken about, you know, ideal outcomes. What we have at the moment is a feasibility study. Uh, I've got some questions for you about that, Dan. The study was late. Ministers don't seem to be entirely united about it, which isn't exactly out of the ordinary, but perhaps some concerns there. Talia, was it excruciating waiting for that
2: feasibility study? Oh, studio? it killed me. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> I think people and got fed off of me, like pestering them for the yep. day. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Darren. I, 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 I speak, I, I speak from experience. <laughs> okay. okay.
0: Um, Dan, give us your uh, view uh, on the sort of inside track on the feasibility study. You, when you read that, were you thinking, this is good, government's done a good job, we're heading in the right direction, this is, you know, I'm happy with this?
1: Yeah, I think um, when you look at things like this, you always think whether something's glass half full or glass, glass half empty, and I think sure. it's definitely glass half full. Um, you know, I, for one, was quite comfortable with the DWP taking this over from the Treasury, um, just because I think they um, have a greater understanding of the pension system. And some of the sort of the challenges that there are out there, um, and so I think that was a good thing. I think it was a, a thorough job. Um, it built on a lot of work that the industry had done around a feasibility study and research and all this type of stuff. But I think, um, like you, Ollie and like certainly like Tanya, um, the frustration around why it took so long, you know, was um, was crazy. So you know, I um, I left my previous company in March and. You know basically when I was joining a competitor they said right okay out you go um, so I had six months gardening leave and I was gutted to be going on gardening leave at that time because we were on the cusp of getting the dashboard feasibility so thought... study in March <laughs> and I was like oh you know but I've been waiting for this all my life and I'm gonna be you know I'm sunning, a, sunning myself in the back garden anyway I even bought a hammock yeah how about that um, <laughs> yeah you know, I came back to work on the 17th of September you know I, been... I think I probably yeah, spoke to you in my we first did. week and it's like yeah. dashboard feasibility study we're still waiting for it yeah (laughs) so um, you know it took a while it took a while and I think um, you know there's a lot there's a lot going on on the political side of things at the moment to state the bleeding obvious yeah Um, but also I think there was a concern in certain circles about you know is this going to be another government a huge government IT build Mm -hmm. um, which potentially equals cock up yeah Um, and you know that's not what it is at all but given the sort of stuff that's going on, we have another area of DWP policy at the moment, sort of universal credit and stuff like that. Absolutely. I think they were quite nervous um, in terms of, or some people or some quarters were quite nervous about, you know, this just turning into a, um, another government white elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, like a lot of things, it's better to take your time and get it right and come up with some good answers and a good way forward than to rush things um although you know i for one would like to have seen it earlier you know i think um a lot of the stuff in that report you know could have been published before the summer yeah um you know um but these things always take time as i say and and the frustration is that you know as an industry we've been talking about this for a number of years now you know um the treasury when they first got behind this project a few years ago was like first dashboards will be up and running in 2019.
0: um it's looking a bit (laughs) Tight yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I just spat out my coffee. Uh, <laughs> um, tendering process, though, because this all relates to you know the stakeholders. Yep. It, you know, it strikes me there's perhaps a bit of self-awareness there from the DDP about its own limitations, capabilities. This all relates to the question of multiple platforms. You know, who's who's in it? Who's doing what? Yep. Whether there's a single thing or whether there's a you know a template that's really adaptable. Defined thing. A defined thing? You no, know, what's, no, a defined what's, thing, what's uh, the thing? D- well, w- whether Do you mean it's pension finder
1: service or multiple pla- dashboards? Yeah, or, multiple yeah. dashboards, yeah, 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 you
0: yeah, know, yeah. what's your view on that?
1: I think um, what I would do is I, I think you need to split out the whole question of w- whether there should be one dashboard or multiple dashboards and that's one area of debate. And another area of the debate is whether there should be one pensions finder service versus multiple pensions finder services. Mm. And where we've got to on that is it certainly makes sense to start with one pensions finder service. Yeah. Yeah. You need that sort of, you know, I'm not a techie, um, you need that sort of black box hub in the middle Mm. that either providers can bolt into, yeah, Yeah. or integrated service providers can bolt into, and their integrated service providers will be like aggregators for people who don't want to sort of patch into Mm. the dashboard infrastructure directly. And it might be the case in the future that it makes um, sense to um, have multiple of those. Yeah. Um, for my my position, I don't know actually, because why would you want to build to multiple things as a provider? Mm. Yeah. You know, let's have that one thing in the middle that does the pensions finding aspects of it, um, and then reconnects people with their pensions. Does the ID stuff? Yeah. And then, you know, you can present the information, you know, in various places elsewhere. Now, the one concern about that will be, you know, that's a powerful position to hold, that sort of central box, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, and we've, we've, we've heard the government say that, um, you know, they want the industry to build this and run with it and all of that type of stuff. But then it comes down to, I think, what is the governance around that pensions finder service, yeah? Mm-hmm. If they do give it to a private sector company to do, mm-hmm. you know, what's the tender process and what's the competition behind that? Um, how do they ensure that they're getting value for money? How do we ensure that we're not creating a sort of virtual monopoly there with all the issues that come off the back of that, like monopoly pricing and all this type of stuff? So I think the control around that central pensions find service has got to be um, sort of thought through, and it's got to be quite robust. Um, So that's the sort of finding your pensions or reconnecting people with their pensions bit. Then there's the sort of multiple dashboards. Um, Now, I, for one, firmly believe that the new guidance body should provide what I've called in the past a public good dashboard yeah. something plain something vanilla something that people can have confidence to go to mm-hmm. um, and just see their basic pensions information yeah, yeah? Mm-hmm. I think that's um, that's a must yeah, yeah. Um, but we all know that a sort of one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work yeah. yeah people want different things yeah um, so, you know, that's why we think that well-regulated, um, what the government is calling commercial dashboards, I think, you know, commercial versus non-commercial is the wrong distinction here. Mm-hmm. I think there's a sort of central public good type dashboard and then there's other dashboards, whether they're yeah. commercial or not. The deluxe know. model. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. um, which um, allows, um, allows um, information to be, you know, provided in a consistent way but allows um, yeah, well-governed and well-regulated companies to sort of build on the dashboard data and, and, and do other stuff with that data that the person, you know, that the person allows them to do. I think the most important thing within the dashboard model is mm. the consent-based model, mm. you know, like um, providers should not be um, you know, able to access, you know, people's data without their consent, yeah. you know, that would just be a nonsense. Um, and I think you know the consultation document is obviously very clear on that, but also, I think that you know what providers do if that data is opened up needs to be looked at as well. Mm-hmm. you know so there's there's good things you can do, you know there's bad things you can do, which mm-hmm. goes back to some of your opening comments, Ollie, around sort of vulnerability and all of that type of stuff mm-hmm. um, and And it's a really tricky balancing act here because you want innovation. You know, we all talk about the fact that, oh, pensions is a bit boring. Well, of course it's boring if you're just sending someone, you know, a paper statement that is out of date and it's written in legalese and all this type of stuff. So we do want to think about, um, you know, how we can, you know, present information in a more exciting way, make it more useful for people, even let people have a play, you know. know, What happens if you increase contributions or do this or do that or whatever it might be? But it's got
0: to be controlled. Yeah, Yeah. Talia, any thoughts on this? I I just want to bring you in here.
2: Yeah, sure. Just with what you're saying with the pension finder Mm. finder service, could the new grants body not kind of be governing and leading that as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think they could. Yeah, Yeah, I think they could. And um, you know, there's always the sort of what's more efficient, um, the private sector delivery model. Mm. Um, or the um, the public sector, you know, delivery model, yeah. and you know, so, or are, you know, are they
0: both as bad as each well, other? Well, exactly, you know. <laughs> and you know, is it,
1: um, sorry, I'm being you know, cynical. Well, no, but you know, um, your journey. Um, <laughs> the um, Ouch. the um, so yes, like whether it would have the capability or want to bring in the capability to do it all itself. Yeah. Um, is a is a question, and you know, I think that it's the leadership and the governance around it that's important, not necessarily who does the work. Okay. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm quite sympathetic to that view actually because it's so integral mm-hmm. to the success and the future of the pensions dashboard that having sort of a not-for-profit or element, well, an element that's closely associated with government um, that is leading that aspect and almost cuts through the industry interests that you've got within this mm-hmm. Because you know it's a fragmented industry. It's an industry um, that doesn't always see eye to eye. You know, let's be honest. It's, you know, there's, there are vested interests. Everyone's got vested interests and in all this type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I would like to see is that architecture and the governance around this built for the consumer, because that's who it's there for. It's not what industry wants. Yes, there's benefits to industry. Of course there are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the industry should you know facilitate that and pay for it and all that type of stuff. Um, but you know, let's make sure that you know, the governance around this is consumer first, and let's have the people leading this focused on delivery, you know, not the sort of pensions industry politics, if I can put it that
0: way. Um, you mentioned uh, money, funding. I don't, to, I don't want to talk too much about your former employer, but in your former role at BNC, BNCE, I remember one of the earliest conversations we had, was you said that BNCE had offered to stump up the cash this themselves, you know, to help fund it. Um, so, two questions from that. I mean, generally, what's your vision of how this is funded, given how fragmented all of that sort of tendering process can be? And then, secondly, you know, is that offer still on the table? I mean, well,
1: is... you'll have to ask. Um, you'll have to ask them. Um, okay. So, yeah. A lot of the, a lot of that is about sort of was about. I think the context of that was sort of kick-starting the work on the dashboard, and and ultimately that's already happened, mm-hmm. um, because um, you know a, um, a number of providers within the industry and not just providers, other players as well got together, you know put some cash in, did the feasibility study, and and it was to get some momentum behind that because yes. there's a sort of car, cart and horse thing if you want government to to do stuff here, mm-hmm. you've got to sort of get the information, the analysis, the evidence base to a certain point before they will take it seriously. you know, And that's what the the work led by the ABI actually did and was quite successful in terms of doing that. Now, was it all inclusive and that? They, we tried to be. I was part of that work. We tried to be. There was quite wide out outreach and stuff. And you have to get the money from somewhere and people stumped up some cash to, to, to actually get it to that point. Um, so that's, that's a good thing. Um, I think that you know this has got cross-industry benefit yeah, um, even if you're running a legacy scheme, yeah, it's got benefits in terms of reconnecting people with their pensions and all of this type of stuff. Um, so I think the fairest way to fund an aspect of it is through industry levies and using existing industry levies. You know, um, because that then you know helps with the free rider problem. Um, and and you know whether the levies. Um, and I'm sort of talking pensions levies, not necessarily advisor levies, I'll come on to that in a minute. Um, You know, whether whether that's a fair and equitable way of doing it is another debate, yeah? But ultimately there is a a mechanism there that can be used to do this type of stuff. Um, I also think that, you know, those that benefit from the dashboard most should also be making a contribution as well. So, you know, if you're a dashboard provider yeah. Um, then ultimately, yeah, you should be you're not paying for access to the data because you know it's the, it's not the industry's data; it's the members' data. But ultimately, there they've got to, there's got to be some sort of money going somewhere in terms of funding the governance, the the IT updates, and all of this type yeah. of stuff, and the regulation around it. So you know, I can almost see a dual funding model um, coming out of this in terms of yes industry pensions levies it's all about the sort of infrastructure architecture, of this type of stuff fair and equitable financing and then you know if various other sectors whether it be fintech or advisors or whatever if they're going to be using this dashboard stuff
2: yeah.
1: you know and running their own dashboards or produ- producing their own dashboards then you know why shouldn't they make a
0: contribution mm, how interesting any thoughts talia That's have you
2: no just wondering if you'd kind of spoken to other people on that and whether kind of interested parties have kind of been supportive of a levy?
0: Um, well, no one likes um, talking about levies, do they? Yeah. Because, um, yeah. you know, it just means... <laughs> because know, levies but, always break. Yeah, as you know, Led Zeppelin once said.
1: But, y- y- so, it's it's difficult. Yeah, yeah it's difficult. There's going to be um, costs for providers um, to patch into the dashboard infrastructure. Um, you know, there's going to be costs for providers which they're going to have to bet anyway to make sure that their data is up to scratch and all this type of stuff. Whether you have the dashboard or not, you know, is, yeah. is almost irrelevant on the data question, mm. but actually it's a lot more visible to people a lot quicker. Um, so, you know, I think that if you don't have a levy-based system, what's the alternative? Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: You know? Um,
2: take a lot longer. It'll take a lot it longer.
1: Up. And, um, you know, I just don't think that you'd have a fair and equitable financing model without it. Mm. Now, what that levy model should look like, who knows? Yeah. Um, Splits. Yeah. Um, I think that has to, you know, there, there needs to be further work on that. And one of the things that we need to know before you can even start thinking about that is like your quantum costs. You know, what is this thing going to cost? Yeah. Um, you know, because it's all very well talking hypothetically about different levies and different ways of doing things and
0: stuff but it sort of makes a bit of a difference whether it's a pound or a million pounds doesn't mm. it well the government put okay. an extra five million in right at the blast budget they did you know was that good news for you or were you thinking
1: oh i think oh. Good it's good news enough. because actually the, the thing i took from that um was that ultimately that's about integrating the state pension into the pensions dashboard yeah you know? um so you know not only um was the government sort of saying yes we're going to Get the p- state pension into the dashboard. They're putting their money where their mouth is, yeah. and you know actually stumping up the cash to do the development work and the work that's needed to do that. You know I don't think that that was necessarily you know a big funding commitment for the dashboard per se, because mm-hmm. they've been quite clear that it needs to be industry funded. But you know at least they're doing you know a bit of the heavy lifting when it comes to some of the data that they will need to provide to make this work. And you know I for one really think that you need state pension data on there. You know, um, it's for a lot of people it will be the biggest chunk of income they have. And yeah. um, yes, we've got quite a good sort of system for finding out your state pension data at the moment. Yeah, you know, I don't know if you've you've looked at Ollie or earlier, but yeah. I've I've been on there, you know, it's all right, it works. You yeah. know.
0: Um it was but you pretty need pretty sad when I saw the results of I mean, <laughs> You're gonna be poor. Yeah. Well, I <laughs> well, you know. Do you know what you need? I've got plenty of whatever what short I may or may not have, but uh, you know, I doubtful as to whether I'll get a state pension. But that's by the by. Um, that's that's very interesting. Do so, you, sorry so. to cut yeah, in. yeah.
2: um Do you think, though, that, in, that the government really are pulling their weight? Because I think this whole pushing it onto the industry A lot of people i've spoken to suggest that they are kind of shying away from integrating the state pension and they're kind of trying to delay that as much as they can yeah
1: so um you know a lot of this is about hmrc actually Mm. because a lot of it's hmrc systems as well as dwp systems and you know um they've got quite a lot going on at the moment thinking about Future of Customs and Border Control and all yeah. that, the next size duties and all this type of stuff. Really? You know, yeah, you know, so... What's going on you know, there? Breaking news there, Ollie. <laughs> exactly. uh, i right. really the news. Um, <laughs> so, you know, like, you read the consultation document and it is a bit disappointing what it says on yeah. the state pension okay. um, in the sense of it talks about, um, you know, the ambition is to have it there, mm. but maybe at the start it will be just a link to exactly. the, um, mm. the data feed and stuff yeah. like that. And I think that you know the the dashboard, and we might talk about coverage and all of that type of stuff in a moment. And that, but the dashboard is only going to be as useful to people as the data and the information that's on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that the UK population is sort of crying out for a pensions dashboard shock horror mm-hmm. at this point. I don't think it's at the top of their list, no. yeah, no. of things that they want to see done. You know, however, in some of the research that's been done previously, when people have being talked through the concept of the dashboard, yeah, they like it, yeah. yeah, and they understand it will take some time to get the data on there, yeah. yeah, and to get it all singing, all dancing, all this type of stuff. But it's almost like you know, once once you've been introduced to something, you create the expectation. Yes, um, we have their goodwill at the moment. Yeah, and and I, and I think that ultimately, um, you know, that's why rollout and coverage are so such crucial factors on some of this stuff. And, and when it comes to rollout, I think, look, you know, s- split it in two. Yeah. Think about it in two ways. It'll be a huge benefit to people to have the pensions finder aspect. Mm. Okay. You know, so let's, let's get every, everybody patched into that from day one. Mm. Yeah. And, I'm, I'm, and I mean DB schemes and stuff like that as well. that because actually you're not asking for real-time feeds or anything like that you're just asking for an um, historical date well it's it's not even well it's 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 historical um it's like you know has ollie got a pension with this company you know Mm -hmm. and and obviously the relevant id and verification and all this type of stuff yeah yeah um and you know that you you, you do your pensions find a bit and it comes back and say yes ollie you had a pension with x company uh, and even it says and you know you can contact them here to get more details yeah. at least you found that pension yeah, you so, didn't. It's really yeah it gets you. so that's incredibly powerful and and you know one of the things I'd quite like to see is almost that there from launch yeah, yeah? because mm-hmm. in a way it's like you know have you got a pension yes or no yeah and then I think also at that time it'd be great to have the state pensions data on there from the start i I doubt it will be um I think then you can sort of have um, the more modern dc schemes yeah, that are patched in, um, you know, um, and it's not just auto enrolment schemes. And you know, different providers will have different thick hoops that they will have to jump through to actually be able to patch into the dashboard infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, people say, well, what the costs and benefit, or what are the costs of doing that? How long it will take? Well, you know, how long's a piece of string? Until you know what the Design architecture actually is, mm-hmm. and what you're actually building to, you can't estimate time or cost and stuff. Yeah. Um, Which has
0: killed off my next question. Uh, sorry, <laughs> um,
1: but you know, but if you use a modern sort of open architecture system, if you yeah. um, have APIs, um, and you have well documented APIs, yeah, and it's very clear, mm-hmm. then actually you should be able to build that to that quite quickly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you know, I'm at Smart Pension where I am now. Um, you know, we we did some sort of broad estimations of, of what it would take, yeah? With a number of assumptions in terms of, yes, this is clear, yes, it's done, this is done with industry, best practice in mind, all this type of stuff. Yeah. And we thought it would take us about a month to actually sort of build mm. the code to patch into yeah. the dashboard. From start to finish which yeah, which is not, which is great yeah. like obviously we need to know what it is and it depends on what other business priorities we have and all of that type of stuff so um, you know it, it, it would be high up the list I'd imagine but it wouldn't necessarily be top of the list but you know it's doable and it's doable relatively quickly mm-hmm. but that's because the way we've developed our infrastructure allows us to do that very quickly yeah yeah um, and, we've, and we've done it before um, linking into TPR feeds and auto enrollment and staging dates and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. Um but it'll be different for different people yeah, um, yeah and and you know they might have to create the apis or the tunnels and that they need, need to work and all that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. so you know I think you know going back to rollout and stuff if we can get that pension find a bit right with some critical mass of useful data covering a large majority of people, mm-hmm. yeah um, that'll be good mm-hmm. and then you and then you have a rollout after that, um, which is how do you get the other the other data on that and I think that you almost People making decisions—well, not almost at all, actually, definitely. People making decisions on the basis of partial information is probably more dangerous than them um, making not making the decision or you know not engaging in all that type of stuff. So I think you need to be very clear on the dashboard what it is covering and what it isn't, and where potential gaps might be. Mm-hmm. But then I think, and the reason I would argue for is, you know, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't call it an aggressive rollout, I'd call it an assertive rollout, that's a okay. bit more polite, isn't it? If you have an assertive rollout for this, um, you know, two to three years, something like that, how long is it going yeah. um, then you can manage expectations and it becomes useful to people. Um, I think, you know, one of the things I would also like to challenge when it comes to this stuff is that, you know, we're in the modern world, yeah, Um, customer is king, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, If a provider or if a scheme can't integrate into a dashboard, yeah, you know, you've got to ask why. And, okay, there might be a transition period to go through, Mm -hmm. but, you know, in other industries, and I think I put this at the end of our conversation, you know, the customers just wouldn't accept some of the excuses that we come up with in the pensions industry. Mm. And yes, there's legacy, yes, you know, stuff costs money and all of that type of stuff. But for me, this is about modernizing and raising standards um, across the industry generally. Yeah. Um, you, know, um, you know, we shouldn't really be running from pensions from a cardboard box, you know, in the 21st century. Mm.
0: That's quite interesting. We have a couple more things to get through, um, which I'm keen to discuss. I mean, th- we spoke about time you know, time scales. There is a new phrase on the block coined by Tom Selby, which is ASAPTA, as soon as parliamentary time allows. Yeah. Um, very quickly, Darren, what is, you know, realistically, what is the time frame on this?
1: don't know. So um, there are aspects where you need um, legislation to make this work, Sure. okay? But that doesn't necessarily prevent you from cracking on with it now. Mm. So the most important thing from a legislative point of view, I would argue, is the compulsion. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, every business will do its cost-benefit analysis about whether it needs to patch into a dashboard and all this type of stuff. Yeah. And without um, compulsion, you'll get patchy coverage. Yeah. Okay, and I think that's the key thing that you need: the legislative framework. Is for that a political hurdle
0: season. for mm. the current government? Um, well, um, is that yeah. a bit difficult I don't to
1: say? I don't think it's their number one priority at the moment. Sure. You know, um, I'm just. Te- I'm just yeah. speaking in terms of the, the it, philosophy
0: yeah. of you know what the Tories are about. No, I don't about. think so. I don't. I don't. I don't, I don't, I don't think defaults. so
1: actually, because I think there's quite a lot of widespread support for the um, to the pensions dashboard among MPs and parliamentarians. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know the DWP have come out and said you know they will legislate for compulsion. Yeah, Uh, there's a couple of ifs and buts within that, you know, as long as the industry has a governance model that works and all of this type of stuff and and should it be the industry that's creating the governance model? Mm.
0: Chicken and egg. Yeah, yeah, Um, you
1: know, that's why I think there's um, a clear role for the new guidance body in terms of leading that and doing that, going back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, You hear the pensions minister speak um, and he's, you know, they're they're certainly putting in, um, you know, uh, bids for a pensions bill you know, when, when time allows. And I think that mm-hmm. goes mm-hmm. to the, the it's heart a final of your question. One, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Um, and, you know, a, a, you know, c- according to the DWP, a lot of that's already well under progress and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, to be totally honest with you, Ollie, who knows? Um, and I think a lot of it will depend on, you know, what happens politically over the next sort of few months or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a pension, another pensions bill is needed. You know, you need it for the dashboard, you need it for CDC, you need it for this sort of DB consolidation and super funds and all of that type of stuff, Mm -hmm. and you know, I for one will be pressing the DWP as part of that pensions. But if we if it actually does come to to light, to actually start thinking about okay, what else needs to be done? There's a bit of unfinished business still around at the moment. Excuse me. Um, You know, like, do do we need banned earnings now? you know do we is you know the government's already said it's going to get rid of them but by the mid 2020s come on let's be a bit more ambitious yeah. than that yeah. you know that's not that hard to do well. Yeah, um, you know, could we um, you know, start auto enrolment contributions from 18, which was a key conclusion of its review into auto-enrollment? Yeah, we could probably start that sooner rather than later. Yeah. You know, so there's a few things like that that I'd Fly like to off. see to, 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 yeah. to, 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 as a commitment. You know, it's all very well doing a review and then implementing the conclusions, I don't know, in 10, 15 years' time or whatever. Yeah. You know, if you've got a bill, yeah. think about it now. Yeah. The other thing I'd like them to sort of think about, Ollie, is um, small pots. You know, small pots is the blight of the pensions industry. Yeah. Um, and, and um, you know, like, people sometimes opt out late, yeah, or they decide that they don't want to contribute after they've finished their opt-out window and all of that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be left with, you know, £2.50 in their pension pot. You know, that is uneconomic for the provider to provide. It's totally pointless and gives yeah. the consumer a really bad experience with their, with their pension. Yeah. yeah. So is there a way that we can deal with the micro pot issue. I think a dashboard will help consolidate small pots and all of that type of stuff. But I'm talking sort of pots below under 100 quid, 150 quid or whatever it might be. Just whereby, just to clear up, yeah, because yeah. you know ultimately we're all paying multiple levies to the government, each managing all these different pots and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's not a good customer experience. So you know I think you need some, almost some auto consolidation mechanism using the dashboard infrastructure that if you've got less than, let's say for the sake of argument 100 quid in your pot, then actually it automatically gets diverted to um, your current active provider. And I think you can do that now because you've got Master Trust authorisation, so a lot of the um, concerns that people had with Pot as Member when when that was proposed before, sort of fall away in terms of the scheme quality, and you've got the charge cap and things like that, so that obviously sort of helps in that instance. Um, Or, you know, if you can't have some form of auto consolidation, if it's below 100 quid, just let them have the money back. Mm. You know, um, it just feels sort of inefficient and um, a really poor customer experience, where, you know, know, to have people with very, very small pots
0: out there. Um, Talia, you've noted that there may be another potential disruptor slash area of discussion that could delay the dashboard. Tell us about that.
2: Indeed. Um, no, so I've been hearing a lot about the whole open pensions debate yeah. and kind of APIs versus the dashboard. Yeah. Um, so to kind of start, where do, what is your definition, How, what do you see as the, de- the real definition of open pensions?
1: So I think um, there's quite a lot of confusion on mm. this. Um, because, and I don't think, like, you know, people bandy the, the phrase API about sort of left, right and centre, yeah. and, and actually that's just an IT mechanism for creating mm. hooks, basically. You know? yeah. And there's nothing special about it. You've, you find it, you, they're used everywhere, you know. Yeah. If you've got a smartphone, you are probably plug, you know, there's an API involved somewhere in, in, in the mix. And I think when people say open pensions, mm-hmm. they think open banking. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and there's a lot that the pensions industry can learn from open banking. Yeah, but it's different, mm. right? So you probably, well, for a start, you're not auto enrolled into a bank account. Okay? Sadly. Yeah. <laughs> um, or you're not just put into a bank account when you start work, you know, or whatever, whatever it might be. Yeah. yeah? You probably know what your current account is that you've got. Sadly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You might not be happy Agreed. with it. <laughs> yeah. Or you're happy with the amount in it. Um, but, you know, you know that. <laughs> right. So you don't necessarily. So so what you know. What, what you have with open banking is you go on to an aggregator app or um, or whatever, and you can say right, okay, yes, I want to sort of have everything on my open banking. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to point, you know, at I don't know Barclays or HSBC, other brands are available, and all this type of stuff. You know, and and you yeah. can pull the data, but you're telling it to do that. You're ident- you're doing the finding for it. Okay. The thing with pensions and the key thing about the pensions dashboard is the key element is the pensions finder service. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which means that from an open banking point, that, that's the key difference between open banking and open pensions. Yeah. So the way I would define open pensions is that once people have found their pensions, they should be able to do what they want with that data. They have that right. Yeah. So um, whether you've got multiple dashboards or single dashboards or whatever, it doesn't really matter because ultimately I can just press print and hand it to an advisor or hand it to whoever and they've got all my details there.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah? So you've got open pensions anyway. It's my data, I can share it. Yeah? Yeah. You, know, you speak to advisors sometimes and they're like, well, we already do a lot of the stuff on the dashboard already. Yeah? So they will do the, the pensions finding bit and they will present it all to the client and all this type of stuff. What the pensions dashboard doing is, is doing is upscaling this and making it sort of mass market. I think then, um, you know, I I was always um, on the fence, well, not on the fence, I was always more of a supporter of a single pensions dashboard um, when this first started, it was started muted. But then someone sort of explained to me about sort of screen scraping and all of that type of stuff. And what that means is that, you know, you can sort of share your, you know, password and username with a a third party app or whatever, and it almost sort of logs in on your behalf, gets the data and then presents it back to you. Right? Quite common in, in the banking okay. sector and stuff. Um, but that's totally unregulated. You're giving up your bank password. You can't, you know, it's difficult to switch off all of this type of stuff. So that's why I think multiple dashboards, yeah, and allowing well-regulated, well-governed um, entities, yeah, mm-hmm. it might be providers, it might be advisors, it might be fintech whatever, you know, um, with those caveats to access that creates a better consumer protection regime than if you just have one dashboard where actually screen scrapers can then go in, yeah. mine the data, and then it's over, something's being done with it over here, I'm pointing to my right when I say over here, I'm making lots of hand gestures at the moment. Um, the consumer protection aspect is, re- is a really important part of this, um, and I think you know, done in a sensible way, get the governance right, get the regulation right, and um, you know, the case for multiple dashboards I think is, is quite a strong one now. Mm.
0: Um, Definitely. We're going to go to some uh, reader views, but just before we do that, Talia, any sort of further final thoughts, questions, concerns? Any way you want to probe a little bit further? Um,
2: just a bit more in terms of the protections and governance. Then, so there's a lot of mention of kind of fintechs trying to build their own APIs. Mm. Is, that, is that is there a danger without that governance then that they can kind of pro- they can kind of produce their own? Um, dashboards in a sense and then
1: yes yeah, so it, it, it does come down to governance and regulation yeah. um, so you know you have your central dashboard and you have to sort of switch s- you know switch the API on mm. or the central bit on to uh, be able to share that data so that's yeah. where the key governance is so I could build the Philp dashboard mm. yeah. <laughs> um, you know wow, uh, I can see that now Oh, it's brilliant I tell you you know um, and, and 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 yes, I can point my API at the dashboard API, yeah. for example. But I can't get anything from it okay. unless it's switched on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So that's where the governance and control really comes from there.
0: And people would misspell the name. They would. You'd get emails about the Philip Dashboard. Yeah.
1: Um so, so you know, that's what yeah. we mean by governance and protections and controls. So it's not as if anyone can just sort of build a dashboard and then hook in. Mm-hmm. Yeah you need to meet certain quality criteria and governance standards and security standards and all this type of stuff before you're allowed access to that API or before that API is opened up to you. Mm -hmm. And then remember as well, a key driver behind the dashboard or a key safeguard behind the dashboard is um, individual consent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which is obviously another check and balance. Um, You know, just because, um, you know, you, you're hooked into the dashboard doesn't mean to say you can see people's data or get access to people's data. The consent and the identity you know, identity verification is a really important part of the, the whole sort of security infrastructure.
0: Hmm. Okay. We have some reader views uh, from our Twitter poll. Darren Cook, Director at Red Circle Financial Planning, says... I think the dashboard will be largely ignored by everyone as it won't list half of what it needs to, to be of use of anyone. Darren goes on to say that the dashboard needs to include all providers, all pensions, including legacy stuff and SIPs, state pension, preferably all DB past and present. So basically the impossible, he says. Um, always could have optimistic <laughs> input on that. Um, Simon Harrington, who's a senior public policy guy at PIMFA, I think you might yep, know Simon. Uh, that's an IFA trade body, says it'll be largely ignored by most, but doesn't mean it shouldn't be there. Our membership think it will cut down on admins, so we're happy. And someone called Bino has also <laughs> chipped in to say that he is beginning to think that pension dashboards are just science fiction propagated by those who have had their brains affected by listening to those bridge doors on the USS Enterprise. Now, I'm not sure what he's referring well, it's to. Heartbreaking. There, but it's <laughs> indeed, it seems to be something to do with Star Trek. Um, a wacky note on which to end, perhaps, um, but I'm afraid we are all out of time. Um, my thanks to Darren for joining us. You've been a great sport. Good to see you again. Thank you for coming. No worries. Thank and you thanks, for obviously, me. to Talia for being with us. Um, Thank you. If you've got a view, opinion, or simply want to send a shouty email to the news desk, then do get in touch on Twitter or via email at news@citywide.co.uk. We do read all your comments. And, of course, if you like what we do this, with this podcast, please do subscribe and leave us a lovely review. Join us again next time. But until then, it's thanks and goodbye.